You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Julie Gould, and this is Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast. Welcome to the series Beyond Academia, where we explore the movement of people between academia and other sectors. We've heard it in this series and in previous ones and probably will again in future ones on this podcast too. There are cultural differences between working in industry and working in academia. Given that most of the audience for this podcast is based in academia, I think it's worth taking a little bit of time to talk about what it's actually like in industry, what industry is, and what some of those differences are between the two sectors. What I see and hear a lot from young academics who are considering moving through the barrier into industry is that they don't know where to start looking for this information. Nessa Carey, whose career has straddled academia and industry, including a senior role at Pfizer, has seen this too. They don't know who to go and talk to. They don't know how they would start forming relationships with people in non-academic environments. And that means they end up with not very clear ideas of what sort of jobs are available, what kind of career paths are available. And it's overcoming that first hurdle. You know, if you're a leading professor and you phone up a major company in your space and say, I'm interested in talking to someone, chances are somebody will get back to you. If you're a PhD student nearing the end of your PhD, you're not going to have the confidence to do that. And you're also not going to know who to pick the phone up to because you're not going to phone a vice president of a major multinational. And so I think being able to find those initial first links are really, really important and very important in porosity and in this movement. If you're planning to explore a career outside of academia, then there are a few things to consider from a cultural perspective. A career, quote unquote, outside academia, covers a lot of different types of jobs and working environments. And even the term industry isn't as simple as it sounds, says Nessa. Industry is not one thing. The culture in a startup is completely different from a culture in a multinational. And both of those are different from the culture in a mid-sized company. And then those are also driven by other things like the business models. Is it a revenue generating company or is it a company that's planning for a big exit financially? And understanding that there is such a difference there can be really complex. 
Throughout her career, Nessa has worked in startups, medium-sized companies and in big multinational companies. So she's seen it all. And she says that they all have their advantages and disadvantages. Startup is great fun because you have so much autonomy. I was one of a team of three. And you're just kind of trying to work out what the company is, etc. And that is really good fun. But you can get a bit carried away with your own hype if you're not careful. Being in a mid-sized company, that was a great entry point into industry for me. So the first company I joined at the time had about 200 employees and I came in at quite a high level. And that was great because I could see the whole operation. I could learn really, really fast about how the different bits of the company fitted together because it did go from basic research all the way up to something in late stage clinical trials. Being at a multinational, one of the things that's fantastic about it is the level of resourcing and the scale at which multinationals operate. The thing that's really difficult about joining a multinational is that it has enormous numbers of processes and enormous numbers of committees and ways in which things have to happen that can be very difficult to get a grip on if you're a newcomer. So trying to navigate your way through processes and through quite opaque power structures, because every organization has power structures, some of which are explicit in the organograms and so on, and some of which are not. And trying to negotiate your way through those is much more challenging in a really big company because you don't know who are really the people who can make things happen or, or stop things from happening. By experiencing these different working environments, Nessa learned a lot about how industry operates, but also about how she operates, which is just as important. So you may decide that you'd like to work in industry, but there's more to think about than just academia versus industry. What kind of industry? What scale? What is it that you enjoy about your work? How much risk can you tolerate as well? How much uncertainty? Because that's one of the other things that people need to realise is that industry is not a job for life. It's in, in certain sectors, it's massively unstable. So it doesn't necessarily solve your problem of worrying about being on short-term contracts. It's just they're not usually called short-term contracts in industry. It's just they turn into short-term contracts because the small company you're in runs out of money. When it comes to finding the right position for you, it's also worth looking at the bigger picture of how the big companies, little companies and all of those in between operate together, says Bill Haynes, the site head and vice president of Novo Nordisk Research Centre, Oxford. This industrial research centre is situated on the University of Oxford campus in the UK, which has its benefits with respect to the movement of people across the barrier between sectors, says Bill. And Bill works in the field of drug production. So what he's sharing is specific to that industry. Big Pharma is willing to hire people from academia and train them up, um, give them experience in, in how the pharma industry works. And then often they move from Big Pharma to small biotechs once they've got that experience. So to some degree... Although it's not deliberate, Big Pharma acts as a bit of a talent incubator for, for smaller biotechs. Bill believes this kind of movement of people from Big Pharma to smaller companies is an advantage in some of these working ecosystems, like, for example, in Boston in the US or Oxford or Cambridge in the UK. What it means is that there's a pool of people who have experience in Big Pharma who are now working in the biotechs who then can part, academics can partner with. So that people at the University of Oxford, professor of chemistry or 
or, or somewhere, or, you know, physics or engineering actually has uh, access to people who, who've made that transition, who know how to take a project forward and make it commercially attractive or get funding for it. Whatever size company you choose to aim for, there are some other things to consider. Many academics who move across the porous barrier to industry find their way into a research position there. But here too, the working styles, goals and values are very different. And understanding them is important to making a success of your job. Anna Sano works as the research strategy manager at Volvo Construction Equipment in Sweden. What I do in my daily work is actually to coordinate different research uh, initiatives between the company and the different universities that we have partnership or relations to. So I'm a little bit in between, you know, boundary spanner between the academia and industry. Anna has the luxury of working with both groups, which means that she has an insight into how they operate. It's very important for her to understand the different working cultures, she says, because if she doesn't, then the partnerships and collaborations they create will not be as successful as they have the potential to be. In April 2019, Anna and her colleagues published a paper in Technology Innovation Management Review titled Increasing the Impact of Industry-Academia Collaboration Through Co-Production. So what we did was to gather for many years in different workshops and discuss how is we perceiving the world different uh, between what we learn from industry and what we learn from academia. There were three major outcomes to the work. And the first of them was when we start to work on a research project, how do we formulate the problem? From an industrial perspective, you strive to solve a problem that is explicit. But from an academic perspective, you're more encouraged to find the gap in the research based on previous knowledge. It's not directly solving something, but understanding and knowing why something is like this. And then we saw the second uh, category with the methodology. In industry, the focus is on using best practice based on organisational experience. For academia, the methodology is about describing how the researcher arrived at a result. It allows for critical review and understanding of ethics. In academia, the methodology is always written up and reflected upon, which isn't standard in industry. The final finding was about the expected results. The results reached in a project may be the same across the two sectors, but each sector has a different way of presenting and utilising them. So we are expecting more demonstration, tangible output that can be um, easily understood or implemented in some way. But when you look from the academic perspective, you are supposed to contribute to the educational system in one way or publishing or training students. Those were the operational findings. But there were five more subtle ones too with regards to counterproductive forces. One of them was on time management. In industry, the aim is to get things done efficiently but quickly. There's often pressure from customers to make sure that the work gets done. In academia, time to publication can take longer and research projects aren't always time-limited. And learning is a non-linear process that requires time. But the one that stood out the most for me was on the driving forces and rewards, or the motivation for participants. So you're kind of so used to the system and the driving forces that you have in each organisation that you don't reflect that this, actually this partner that I'm supposed to work with expects something else from me. 
In industry, there's a financial importance to a project. And often the more important projects are the ones with the bigger financial importance. In academia, I've often heard that many do science research because they love it. They love identifying a problem or a gap in the knowledge. But the reward system is driven by getting your publication in a high-ranking journal, which feeds into getting funding for future research. And this publish or perish culture is very strong. Now, we'll make sure there's a link to the paper online so everyone can see the results, because I found that looking at the differences between academic and industry perspective in a tabular form, as Anna and her colleagues put in the paper, is incredibly, I want to say, satisfying, but also eye-opening, because it really does show the stark contrast between how the two sectors operate. In episode two of this series, we heard from Nessa Carey that in order for a collaboration between the sectors to be successful, it requires that expectations are to be outlined before the project begins. And this makes sure that everyone knows the aims of the project, what's going on, who's required to do what, and what will happen at the end. The scientific community is promoting uh, the paper writing, the journals and and the conference papers, etc., while someone from the industry is rather relating to, uh, I mean, how can we demonstrate this? Or can we make a video of, out of this? Or how can we create learning in our organisation based from, from what the researchers have found? When Volvo works on a collaboration with academic researchers, they make sure that they can set up workshops at the beginning of the process to align the academics with the way industrial engineers work. The workshops are for them to present what they what they aim for and what the problems that they have found in the research uh, gap, uh, so to say, in the scientific literature. But then we also ask them to reflect on what will the actual outcome uh, be and doing this as a workshop together with our industrial engineers. Having a good understanding of the different working environments and cultures is beneficial as it will enable you to communicate your work to all participants. It'll also mean that finding a job in industry won't be such a shock to the system when you've just left academia for the first time. But there are some people who start off in academia, move through that porous barrier towards industry, and then actually reverse their course and come back to academia. And in the next episode, we'll hear from those people. And we'll hear that it's incredibly beneficial to understand how both sectors operate. And often, it's a unique selling point that will help land you a role in academia. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Gould. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.